welcome to another episode of the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my brother and co-host, Kevin. And today we're here to talk about a topic near and dear to my heart, uh, because I am a Manchester United fan, have been since, I don't know, around 2007, 2006 or so. And this is about why you should support Manchester United. If you're an American fan, this is probably the club that is most quote-unquote famous, especially if you're not you know, still in high school or something like that, then you probably have no idea who Manchester United is. But Manchester United has kind of been the equivalent of the Cowboys or the Lakers or the Yankees uh, in American sports for quite some time. And it's a team that has a lot of media speculation about them. So let's learn a little bit about what it means to support the club and what the club has been about. So what I will say is that Manchester United... Definitely one of the, even before they were extremely successful, were, were one of the most famous clubs in England. They have Old Trafford, which is perhaps, other than Anfield, the most famous stadium for a club in all of England. It's huge. It holds like 76,000 people. And when the club was even back in its back in the day, it was always one of the best supported teams across the country. They had a lot of successful periods. The most notable was actually in the 1950s, right after the World, Second World War. You can actually see uh, there's a great picture. Well, not great, but interesting picture of Old Trafford bombed out by uh, the Germans from the Blitz. And you can see just how, you know, it, it really takes you to the next level of how much this really impacted everything. As if we didn't know that, but um, to see a, the stadium that they're playing in today bombed out is you know a very powerful site but Manchester United in the, the 1950s really famous uh it's called the Busby Babes led by Sir Matt Busby they dominated they ended up winning a, a European Cup they in 1958 one of the most famous events disasters in soccer history happened which is the Munich air disaster which is where the entire first team or significant portion of the first team died in an airplane accident uh, in Munich, including a ton of, you know, a team that was going destined for the top, that was supposed to be one of the best teams in Europe. Uh, a lot of players died there and, um, the biggest tragedies that the sport has seen. Um, one guy, Duncan Edwards was, you know, all the, if you talk to any Manchester United fan, that's now like a hundred or, you know, 105, they would all tell you that Duncan Edwards was this 21 year old who was literally destined to be the greatest player. Um, United had ever seen, and uh, unfortunately, he was taken in the plane crash. But somehow, oh, and Real Madrid back then, it obviously swept the world of soccer in terms of the disaster, but Real Madrid offered uh, Alfredo, Alberto, Alfredo? I don't know. Alfredo makes me think that I'm just say, uh, thinking like Fettuccini Alfredo, but uh, De Stefano, who was the best player in the world at that time, uh, they had offered him as a free to kind of play because they needed players to um, sign up for the team. And one of the kind of biggest things that made Real Madrid and Manchester United um, kind of have this long-term bond. Um, but anyway, Manchester United kind of did well. They they went through a bad period where one of their legends actually ended up helping to get them relegated. Dennis Law, who has a stat, part of the statue outside of uh, Trafford, along with uh, Bobby Charlton and... George Best, and they, they're kind of known as the Holy Trinity, and, and Dennis Law went across town for Manchester City and kind of scored this, I think, backheel goal that ended up getting Manchester United relegated, but they were able to bounce that back up pretty quickly, and 
the most fateful thing that they did in the last, you know, 50 years is, or even a hundred years is appoint Sir Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex Ferguson is, you know, the Phil Jackson or the Bill Belichick, uh, just the, this kind of institution in the game. And they appointed him in 1986. He was, he's a Scottish guy who was a decent player himself, actually went for quite a bit of money. I think a world record or Scottish record at the time as a, as a striker, um, to go to Rangers. Um, but he took this club to heights that no other team had really ever seen in England before. It all coincided. I, I went through a lot of this with uh, the history of the Premier League uh, episode, so you should definitely go check that out to get a little bit more in-depth of kind of how Manchester United took the Premier League by storm. But when the Premier League was instituted, United was well-placed because of Sir Alex Ferguson to basically grow. And so by the 90s and mid-2000s, United was the dominant team in England. So basically the last 30 years, if you've grown up watching soccer, most people grew up watching Manchester United on top. All leading to the last 10 years um, when Sir Alex Ferguson retired in 2013, that has led to a new era, a not so good era uh, for Manchester United Football Club. And so Manchester United won Premier League after Premier League, won, you know, probably... 70% 70% of the Premier League titles uh, for like a 20-year period. And since Sir Alex Ferguson, they have won zero. They have won none. Um, and Sir Alex Ferguson, when he he joined the club, he said he was going to knock Liverpool off their fucking perch because they had the most titles in English history. They had 18, and I think United had like seven when Fergie arrived. And when Fergie left, United was up to 20, and Liverpool was, up, was still at 18. Liverpool has won one since then, so Manchester United has 20 titles in their history, uh, which is the most of any team in England. Liverpool is in second with 19, and both clubs are desperate for the other one because they are each other's biggest rivals to not win, either close the gap or re-separate them by a little bit. So Manchester United has been in this weird period since Fergie left. Fergie ended up kind of appointing. He kind of appointed his own successor, which... Honestly, never really a good idea, but when a guy's there and is that successful, I mean, they named like a stand after him and they're going to put a statue up. And so, you know, I mean, this guy is, this guy is the club in some way, uh, for a long time. Uh, so it's hard not to do what he wants. Yeah. When you get so big and you usually can't tell people, no, you know what I mean? They, they're, they're just a face of your club. And even if you don't know if it's going to work out, it's just really, really hard to say, you're not going to get your wishes, especially at the end. Yeah, totally. And he ended up picking another Scott, Scotsman, uh, David Moyes, who's now the coach of West Ham. Um, and he was just not a good fit for the club. He kind of does not have the arrogance or that kind of thing that is associated with it and ended up being a disaster. Then they appointed Louis Van Hall, who didn't understand the style of play for the club. He was much more Barcelona type guy, which is not what Manchester United classically is. And, and then the, the kind of corpse of Jose Mourinho, they were a little bit successful, but that guy is the most toxic guy in the entire world. No, thank you. I do not hire. Yeah, we've both seen uh, the bad parts of that. And uh, and then uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's just like this. But at least you saw the good parts. I, I just saw the bad parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he didn't really have any good parts at Tottenham, but uh, he did have uh, the documentary, though. No. So, I mean, you got to see him behind the scenes. Yeah, well, that just yeah, it externalizes the, the bad parts. I can't believe they watched him coach United and then decided that they wanted a part of that. Like, that was so utterly predictable. But 
anyway, the uh, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, this famous guy who was a striker for United and won them the European Championship and the treble back in 1999, coached them for a while. And, you know, he brought the good vibes back um, and actually had a pretty successful run where they finished seconds um, and finished in the Champions League a couple times in the plate in the top two or three uh, a few times couple, twice I think but um, that didn't end up great because he just isn't on the level tactically as the other managers and now hopefully with a new Don and Eric Ten Hag uh, who seems to be the man first manager since Fergie left that really has connected with the fans in a way that uh, seems hopeful and optimistic for the future but um, this is Manchester United things things don't go well uh, recently um, but anyway, so what is what does Manchester United uh, kind of mean? What is the club all about? So Manchester United is probably the most talked about, most hated in some ways, most kind of drama filled club in all of England. That somebody something bad happens to Manchester United, some drama happens. Every newspaper covers it. Everyone talks uh, talks shit about them. You can't basically everybody loves to see them lose, make fun of them. They in that way, they very much are the Yankees, the Lakers, the Cowboys. And uh, but I'd say they're most like probably the Yankees or the Cowboys right now because they haven't won it, they're not really any good either. Manchester United has always been a team that has wanted attacking play, so attack an attacking ethos has always been something that they've wanted, which is why I think Louis Van Hall and Jose Mourinho did not really fit the club very well. Um, so speed, wingers, um, attacking football with Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, all the strikers that they've had going down through their history, especially kind of counterattacking, high speed, high skill, um, desire. Those are all things that Manchester United fans demand from their team. They're not as much of a possession-based team um, that like a Barcelona or recently an Arsenal or something would like, uh, and not as defensive as historically as a team like Chelsea. And they also pride themselves on their youth players. So I think it's been since 1950, I'm pretty sure, I think it's around 1950 or so, uh, might even be longer than that. Manchester United has had a first team, uh, an academy player named in the squad um, for a game. So wow, literally, I don't think any other team is close to that. So the academy, although it's been somewhat surpassed recently by Chelsea and Manchester City, the academy is such an integral piece of the Manchester United kind of lore. They love supporting their own kind of guys um the academy t classically is really strong um formed the backbone of the great 1990s manchester united team so and this team is a team that now um has become a commercial entity uh that is almost more about selling uh tractors and ramen packets and uh stuff like that more than it is anything else so if you if you think of any team in the world that's probably more commercialized or that is the most commercialized is the most kind of corporate Manchester United is definitely at the top of that list they basically you know economically are there to uh, make a ton of money and that all kind of comes in with the owners who are probably the most hated people in that half of Manchester Manchester City fans probably love them the Glazers who are an American family I think there's news and this may change that they, they were basically going to sell the club because everyone hates them in Manchester the, there's a long green and gold campaign where everybody uh tried to boycott uh buying official merchandise that didn't really work long term but there's a lot of sit-ins a lot of protests uh people chanting that uh basically should what you call glazers out which is get the glazers out of the club um every manchester united fan pretty much hates the glazers and they 
basically are so hated that it's tough for them to even go to their own games because they just get abuse hurled at them and other stuff probably hurled at them. Uh, there was all this stuff where they were going to sell the club, maybe to Qatar, maybe to this rich British guy, but it sounds like that's on hold because they weren't getting enough money. Um, their family kind of sounds like the uh, the family in uh, Succession, where there's like six of them and they're all disagreeing and is their dad that uh, was super rich, but um, who knows? They're very hated. It kind of has put a, uh, a dark cloud over the club. Um, the, part of the reason why they're hated is A, they don't invest any money um, into the club, into the stadium, all of which it needs. And they bought the club uh, back in the early 2000s with a, a leveraged buyout. Honestly, should be illegal, but uh, you basically just get a loan for all the money that you need to buy the club and then may pay back that loan with the earnings that you make on the club. So Manchester United, although they've always spent the most money of any team in the Premier League, maybe outside of periods of time where Chelsea and Manchester City spent above them, um, because they've always made the most amount of money, they've always spent less than they ought to or really should or what they earn because the Glazers are taking out huge cuts of interest and taking out the money that they paid for the club in the first place. So we'll see uh, what that changes. Um, you know, the recent history of Manchester United is just not good because the teams that are dominant are their two biggest rivals. Um, Liverpool has been probably the best team outside of Manchester City in the world for the last five years. Um, they hate Manchester United and Liverpool just hate each other, cannot stand each other. And uh, Manchester City, who is their second biggest rival, cross city rival is now the best team in the world and that does not look like it's going to change so manchester united is kind of what does it say about you i mean it's a huge huge club everybody knows what it means to support the club i think if you if you support the club it's not like you're supporting a team that's no one's ever heard of everyone will be like oh well if they don't know soccer they'll be like oh wow you support like manchester united and you know i think you're a front runner um which you kind of would be because they do have the most amount of money and uh, are one of the biggest clubs, but it's also a team that you don't even get the benefits of them ever winning. So uh, this is the life of a Manchester United fan right now. I think it's a great club. It's a club that has a really rich history, um, has a really kind of vibrant culture, attacking culture to it, um, and is a team that is very much a giant that is fallen not even sleeping because they it's not like they're uh, not trying to win. They spend huge amounts of money and always end up pretty much failing recently. But it's a team that has a ton of potential if they ever figure it out. I think you see it too with United. You can just tell how big a team they are. You know, even if they're struggling a little bit, they have some of the biggest names that are always going there. Obviously, like Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Like they're just getting players, even if they're not having good times, that are the best of the best in the world and world renowned. Just shows like how renowned that club is. You know how many players. Uh, there's a few clubs in the world. You know probably only a handful that players are willing to go to no matter what state they're in, just because they're they're famous clubs. And I think United absolutely kind of falls in that category. And the nickname of like basically a lot of the stadiums over in the Prem have cool nicknames, but the Theater of Dreams that's just the coolest nickname for for Old Trafford. That is, I don't know, it's just something really cool to, to hear about. But at least me personally, just talking to and a lot of United fans and ones that I interact with, probably mostly in the States, uh, I feel like they fall into two camps. You know, one of the camps is kind of what you were talking about, where you know, they are maybe not the, you know, they're picking a team that's a big team and they might not be the most uh, informed or knowledgeable. And hey, that's okay because yeah, everybody has to start somewhere. 
Uh, but they just like say, hey, I, I like Manchester United. And it's like, oh, great. And you kind of like talk to them a little bit more. But it seems like, yeah, they're, they're really supporting some of the big names and big players um, that were there. And But the other end of the spectrum, I, I think some of the most knowledgeable soccer fans that I talk to, obviously yourself included, but some other people I have kind of met in life, they are probably the most well-rounded with their overall soccer knowledge. And so maybe that says something about United, right? Saying that folks that know a lot about the game end up, you know, picking with them or sticking with them, and maybe there's something different about you know how exciting of a team they are, and yeah, it's good to watch. Another thing I love about them is just I feel like they're consistently signing great wingers. Uh, it's I think they're always looking for for that next uh, big guy. Like you know, just watching written up. I don't know, growing up probably in the, the early 2000s, watching those YouTube compilations of. Cristiano Ronaldo just taking on guys down the wing and making them. Yeah, anybody that's watched Ronaldo recently, like he transitioned himself into like the best goal scorer in the world. But when he was young, he was just like the fit. Like he did all the footwork. Like he was like, like he had all the tricks. He wasn't about the goals at all. Like he went. He's like one of these guys that went diametrically the opposite way. Where at the beginning he wasn't all about goals, assists. He was just about showing guys up, uh, messing around, doing tricks doing flicks like he was uh just the most exciting player in the world to watch and he's still a great you know he got even better as a player but lost a lot of all that flair really but yeah i think you know that entire era with rooney tevez the whole group is just uh really you know they have with david beckham george best always had this uh and now marcus rashford had really really uh great wingers yeah that that seven jersey there is just so famous and so many players and they're always in this pursuit of those kind of guys right you just name an infinite name of lists right nani you know sometimes it works out with you know or sometimes it doesn't with like sancho anthony and recent memory but they're always looking for these just guys that are just so fun to watch and you know at the end of the day it is about winning stuff but also it's about being entertained and watching fun players to watch so i i personally appreciate them as a a neutral for United, I, I like watching, uh, you know, some of the guys that they always try to bring in and they, yeah, there's kind of that personality or that those values and a lot of people call it DNA, but uh, it's good DNA uh, from the outside perspective. Yeah. And, and United has always had this arrogance, uh, about them. There's a famous banner on that they have there that says, uh, not arrogant, just better <laughs> is, uh, you know, a great, I think kind of mantra cause they always have been this team that has swagger eric cantona george best david and if you look at the number seven shirt you have uh you do have george best you have brian robson i think brian robson uh who is their great captain in the 80s um david beckham cristiano ronaldo so this is probably the most famous shirt in uh all of kind of the english game mason mount now has it which we'll see how that works out but yeah, there's always been this kind of aggressive attacking swagger about United that they haven't really had quite as much just because they're not good as good anymore or really good at all anymore. But it is something that I think is part of the personality of the club, like you're saying. Are we missing the best seven to ever play for United with uh, Alexis Sanchez? Basically, all Manchester City, like there's always, always these rumors that are like, which Manchester City is like the best run club. And it's like, oh, Manchester City's interested in this player. And then United goes out and tries to like buy them. This happened with like Fred and Alexis Sanchez and Jaden Sancho. And, and literally every single one of those guys like just ends up not being good. But I'm sure if they ended up went to going to uh, Manchester City, they'd probably still be the best players in the world. 
So I think it's a pretty good recap of, you know, where kind of United came from, the, the history or just kind of the vibe of the club. But, you know, and for me personally, I probably have come right after United's big era. So to me, they're a little bit less scary, right? They're not this, you know, big bad team that I'm, I'm terrified to play because, you know, you hear about it in most of the history of the Premier League is that was the team that teams just basically you chalk it up as a loss you know before you see it you see they were the they were manchester city now um that the feeling that people have for manchester city now is kind of what manchester united was for 20 years which reminds you how cyclical things are right? you know obviously the city era is incredible and it probably will last for a decent amount of time but there are ebbs and flows in in clubs so just I think as I've gotten older, I always have to kind of remember that because when you're young and you're watching, you're like, man, this this era is never going to end, good or bad. Uh, but it does, and this too shall pass, you know, for for better or for worse. So I, I guess you know, with Ten Hag coming in, I mean, are you, are you excited again for kind of how they're playing? Like, I guess what what do you think the the feeling is with the club? Because like you talked about, it seems like he's kind of been able to connect with the fan base, which is something you see, you even feel it as a fan. I mean, it's hard to quantify it, but it's, like, it's palpable in the locker room. It's palpable when they give you know, the press interviews before and after games. I mean, personally, how, how, how do you feel about it? Do you, do you believe in he's the right guy to kind of help them, you know, wake up the sleeping giant and get them back to, you know, where they quote unquote should be? Yeah, I think Eric Ten Hag is a very, very good manager. Um, he has the kind of arrogance and the confidence and just the ultimate belief. Um, he's also uh, a taskmaster, which is something that uh, I think United has always needed. He got rid of Ronaldo, dropped uh, Harry Maguire, took the captaincy from him. Um, he's never been afraid to make big decisions, which is something you've always needed to be a Manchester United manager. There's so much scrutiny on him, and he's always been able to handle it. Um, he... He uh, managed, uh, I think, Bayern Munich's second team, their like reserve team, uh, and was there when under Pep, and then has really been raised in kind of the Dutch school Ajax and FC Utrecht, I think. And so he's, but he's not ex your classic like Ajax or Pep Guardiola disciple, where it's all about possession. He has a little bit more kind of tactical flexibility, I guess, to him. Um, you know, he created those Ajax teams that ended up. Going, uh, losing to Spurs at uh in the Champions League Great semifinal, game played. and Tottenham, Tottenham wanted him, I think, but said he wasn't charismatic enough, and ended up going with Jose Mourinho, which uh, <laughs> in hindsight, <laughs> uh, terrible, terrible. Uh, but no, I, I think I definitely believe in him. Um, he has brought in a ton of his players, which is a little bit concerning because, and I think that's more of a problem with United's overall director, not really having a good director of football, which I think is probably the biggest issue that's been plaguing them for the last 10 years. They don't have like a direction, um, you know, a kind of a, a single unified focus that the team can kind of pursue, which is something that you see Manchester City having Liverpool before they kind of got rid of all their recent top brass, uh, that they had. But I think Eric Ten Hag has the kind of charisma and the personality to bring this club back to success. I think the one thing that I do worry about for every team that's not Manchester City is that I'm not sure there is a return to the top for any team that isn't Manchester City. I'm not sure Klopp will ever get back. I'm not sure Mikel Arteta would ever make it there. I'm not sure United or Pochettino, like, 
Manchester City is just far, 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 far too good. I don't even know what success looks like for any of these teams because if if uh, Pep Guardiola didn't exist, Liverpool would have multiple type uh, titles. Arsenal would have won the title last year. United may have won the title in the last five years. Even in some of their really down years, they may have actually won a title. Um, they finished second multiple three times, I think, in the last few years. So it's not like United finishes like seventh place. They're always generally fin- they've missed the Champions League, I think, two or three times, and they generally finish, uh, you know, in the top four. But I'm not even sure what success looks like because do I think Eric Ten Hag can turn United into 100-point title winners? No, I don't. Um, but I don't think any team that isn't Manchester City can really do that anymore. So um, I do think he's the guy to, you know, bring energy back to the club. But um, I think – and I, I, I'm trying to remember my mantra of – or never are as good as they seem – uh, and things are never as bad as they seem. But when you look at Manchester City, I'm not sure how anybody comes close to them for as long as Pep is there. And I'm not, he may be there for another decade. I can't tell if that's a depressing reality or like a really good way to kind of temper your expectations, but very fair. And I, I have to ask the question from there then. So what would you consider a you know successful season? What, what, are, you, what are you looking for United to do this year for, again, Obviously, to win things, but so I think last year was really successful because if you look at United, they're they're it's a team that's always in crisis because they lose. If Tottenham loses two games, people can make fun of them, or if Chelsea loses two games or has the worst season ever last year, people just end up kind of sweeping it under the rug a little bit, right? Like if United did what Chelsea did last year and finished 14th place or whatever they finished, the amount of just destruction of uh, that would like implosion would just be insane. You know, there is there is no scrutiny like the United scrutiny, and so I think it makes it hard um, to survive these things, which is also why I think Ten Hag is a great manager for United too, because when he showed up last year, they lost their first two games in part due to De Gea and some other things to Brighton and Brentford, um, and it was considered the biggest crisis. And he came back and beat Klopp's Liverpool, and then they ended up finishing uh, in third place. Um, in the Premier League last year. So I think they finished in the Premier League third place. They won the League Cup. They lost the FA. They went to the FA Cup final last year. So they had probably, if you count just looking at silverware, you know, depending on if you think how successful Arsenal's season was last year, they were the second most successful team in England last year. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think this year, you'd always want to say title. I think that's already gone. When At the time we're recording this, uh, they've lost two games <laughs> and City's undefeated. And this is the part, this is, City is not good. This is the worst that City will be all season. They always just end up uh, picking up pace in the second half. So they're not going to win the title. Um, I think they have to finish top four. And if they can make a deep Champions League run, United has missed a deep Champions League run for the last, you know, six years or so. Um, so if they can just do that, those two things, I think it's still a reasonably successful season. But they've they've spent a lot of money again this year, and everyone will be expecting the title. But it's just like I said with Man City, it, it's a little bit hard to. It's like it, it's like if you had every team in the NBA, like Manchester City is just the Warriors with Kevin Durant. You know, I mean, like they are, or they're like the Yankees with A Rod and you know Roger Clemens, and just they're just the best team. Like you can't like. And what does success look like in that era when every single team is competing for a title? So I don't know. You know, in theory, you'd want them in a title race this year. 
I just, I'm not sure how realistic that is. Yeah, it's, you know, let's think of Usain Bolt at his peak. Like, just imagine being another a, a sprinter that's in there. It's like, okay, what's your realistic goal here? Oh, he, you know, breaks his ankle coming out of the blocks. That, that's basically all you can hope for, I guess. I know somebody's going to need to go, like, I don't know, buy Pep off or something. The Saudis are going to have to go pay Pep, like, $5 billion to, like, play uh, Holland and, and keep in goal or something. <laughs> but kind of going off the same vein um, of there, a couple of other questions I want to ask you about, you know, from your opinion as a well-informed fan of United, um, are there any, like, positions, you know, the transfer window has literally just closed as we're recording this. Are there any spots that you kind of feel like one position that United could have shored up or one place that you really wish they would have brought in a player for? Um, just so you'd feel like a little bit more comfortable in how they're going to do this year. I actually think this is quite a successful window. I think the, you know, they brought in, they just brought in a backup left back because uh, Luke Shaw is injured for a while and Malassia is uh, out for a little bit of time. They uh, brought in Amrabat. Is it a Luke Shaw contract here? I'm just trying to think if he if he's going to be good. Good this year? Uh, no, I don't think okay, it is. So, okay, okay. I love Luke Shaw, man. He's, he's he's been here since uh, 2013 because he was bought when he was 18. But yeah, uh, yeah, he has he he does have some kind of ups and downs in his form. But I think when he's on, he's the best left back in the league. That he that just doesn't happen every year. They brought in Mason Mount and Amrabat to kind of shore up the midfield because Casemiro's, I think, getting a little older. He doesn't quite have the legs that he used to. And I think the most important signing a is. Andre Onana um, to replace De Gea, which I think is a huge victory because he's this kind of ball-playing keeper that will allow them to revolutionize their style. They had De Gea because back in the day, goalkeepers were not expected to play out from the back. But nowadays, you know, they are really part of the outfield team. They really, they're like used as the 11th defender or 11th player. And um, it really is critical to helping break the press in this modern day era where the press is so important. Having a really good outlet that can still play passes is huge and a necessary component for every top team. I think United and Spurs were both lacking that with uh, Hugo Lloris and David De Gea, who, you know, 30 years ago would still be two of the best goalkeepers in the world, um, but just don't have that kind of level to play out. But and I think the biggest thing is United were successful last year without having a single center forward. So they played Wout Weghorst, who is just this guy who Burnley doesn't even want, that they got on for free from, like, Turkey, who scored zero goals for them and basically just ran around up top, like, pressing people, which is, like, fine, but, like, not what you expect from, like, a Manchester United player. Um, and they didn't score that many goals and were still successful. I think that speaks to the spine of the team and how, you know, well set up and how good they were at defending last year. Um, so they brought, they spent huge amounts of money on this really young guy, Rasmus Hoyland, uh, this big uh, Danish guy who kind of has a similar name to Erling Holland. Now plays in Manchester like Erling Holland is a tall, blonde, left-footed striker that's like six one uh, like Erling Holland, um, but will never be Erling Holland. But if he can kind of turn himself into Manchester United's next big center forward, which they've not had, uh, they've they've been basically relying on old guys like Edison Cavani, Falcao, Ibrahimovic for, and you know, the last decade. And so having, if he can kind of bloom, um, this would, that will take United to the next level. So I think the transfer market's been overall quite successful. I think if you wanted to poke holes in it, it's not that they're buying, they need to necessarily buy more players. It's just the fact that the players that they bought need to be better. Anthony, I think needs to 
show that he's better. Mason Mount needs to prove that he's worth the money that they're spending on him. Hoyland needs to be successful. I think right and left back, you could look at his, his areas for improvement. And I think Casemiro, we'll see if Amrabad is a good enough replacement for him. But um, I think the team as a whole is in good shape. They have a good keeper, good center backs, in theory, a decent midfield. Um, and if Anthony can come good, Rashford and Anthony are very good uh wingers and then Bruno Fernandez is probably if Bruno Fernandez played for Manchester City he'd be thought of as Kevin De Bruyne but he plays for Manchester United and kind of has a slappable face I think uh every he's the type of guy that all the other fans in the league just like absolutely hate him because he like whines a lot and dives a lot and stuff like that but he is uh I think one of the absolute best players uh in the world but when that when the team's not doing great or has big losses like they did last year when they lost seven nothing to Liverpool. I think they lost six one to City. United ends up with all this. You know, people just look at everything at United and say that it's bad. But Bruno Fernandez is one of the best players in the world, and if Hoyland can come good, then I think this team has a lot of potential. But so you know, there's always players to that you could buy. A lot of people will say like sh- they should have bought Harry Kane this year, but I'm not sure that would have been enough to win them the title anyway, and that would have mortgaged the future. Yeah, I mean, you could make a case for literally every team in the world probably to have bought Harry Kane, minus maybe City. So, And Levy would never have sold him to him. Get him out of the league. Get him over there. I saw some weird video of him uh, in a leader hose in, and he just, he's so such an awkward guy. It seems pretty funny. I mean, the guy the guy is about as interesting as dry paint, but he's damn good at footy. So Yeah, I mean, dude, watch his hot ones. His hot ones, man. He, he just, I'm sure he did a lot of takes. He's probably had a lot of press coach coaching, but man. He just still comes off as just like milk toast is what people call him, but he's just like a glass of milk. He's just this plain, not a lot of flavor, just chalky. There's no way he's a good captain for England. I don't really understand that, but but anyway. I think he's a, yeah, we want to know that he's going to go deep into the, the psyche of, of Harry Kane. And I think it's a good walkthrough, though, of United's kind of starting 11. I think he, you glossed and touched on most of the big uh, positions that are out there. And I, I have to ask the question that, you know, most pundits have kind of been uh, going over in the transfer window and in the off season is the Mason Mount transfer, right? It was a really weird year for England center midfielders, you know, with Declan Rice moving, James Madison, Mason Mount. And so a lot of them got a lot of attention just because of how big the transfers were. And of course, whenever you're, you're getting transfers with English national team players, it's always a bigger story. And then of course, when you're going from Chelsea to United that are two of the biggest clubs so it's gonna get a lot of talking I guess how, how do you think he's gonna kind of end up integrating into that midfield because like you said it's really a strong midfield I mean Bruno is an incredible 10 um Casemiro and you know Christian Eriksen Christian Eriksen fills that kind of like deep flying playmaker that can kind of be that double uh eight position so I mean do you think Mason Mount is there for like kind of like dependability and to kind of just be an extra option in case of injuries or like how, how do you really see him integrating into the system yeah i think mason mount you know he's a ch- uh, childhood uh chelsea fan and you know has come up through their club been there for decades um and so to loot to gain him and for him to leave chelsea i think shows that there's a lot of the relationship had gone very sour there united paid a good bit of money for him and they're paying him a healthy wage they gave him the number seven shirt the first two games have not worked he's injured out right now i think the idea for mason mountain is that he's an upgrade for christian erickson um which i think on 
paper, he absolutely is. Uh, he has an incredible work rate. He does coaches love him because he does exactly what the coaches uh, ask of him. Uh, he has uh, the defending. He's not like you know a great defensive midfielder, but he puts in the work and he also has the attacking output. I think over the since he's been at Chelsea, he's actually scored the most goals or had the most goals plus assists of any player, including all the attacking players. Um, at Chelsea. So he also has the output, can hit a set piece. So in theory, he uh, he fits quite well there. I think the idea was to turn United into kind of what City have, um, which is having Rodri at the base in the midfield at that kind of number six, and then turn Bruno and, and Mount into kind of more attacking eights, um, or both even kind of like tens where they both get forward and just kind of have Casemiro shield the back line. But I think Casemiro has actually aged faster than was expected um he's 31 or 32 now and he looks slow um to start the year so i'm not sure he's going to ever have the mobility anymore to survive like rodri so i think that did not work in the first uh, few games so part of that is i think casemiro although he was incredible last year and still a very good player i'm not sure he's good enough to just kind of run the midfield and uh, defensive midfield by himself anymore. Um, he definitely used to be able to do that. But so I think the theory behind Mason Mount is very good. We'll see if he can kind of adapt and work uh, with playing with Bruno Fernandez um, without having the midfield get overrun. We'll see. Um, but I think Mason Mount is somebody that uh, Eric Ten Hag absolutely wanted. He's a player that Liverpool wanted, player I think that Arsenal probably would have wanted. Um, and so I think he's hopefully going to come good I think he him and Kai Havertz are kind of being asked by Arteta and Ten Hag to do similar things um, kind of be that attacking eight but also have the work rate um, so I think both managers are trying to integrate their teams where they have this defensive six Arsenal with Declan Rice and United with Casemiro and then have more two attacking eights uh, I think both teams are showing that that's actually not very easy to integrate into the system so um, we'll see if he can uh, can figure it out He's so young and young and coachable. I mean, I think there's always a lot of knee-jerk reactions and people are instantly trying to put, um, to say, oh, man, this guy's a flop and it wasn't worth the money. So, yeah, I mean, four games into a season learning a new system, you can't make any you know, decisions or really know what's going to end up happening because you never know. Even guys who have terrible first seasons, I mean, they end up becoming incredible players in the future. So He's literally played two games for United. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. He's a 24-year-old who's on a new team, right? And you're going to be like, okay, you can't make a, like a, a call. But, you know, if you go listen to pundits, you know, they all need to get paid and so sound bites, you know, sell newspapers or articles or TV shows. So I, I, I get it. Uh, but just make sure you take all that with, with a, a heavy dose of salt, let's put it that way. But what all that, and I'd also say when you're watching any – the problem, the biggest problem with uh, – I think all of soccer uh, commentary is that it it's so hard to analyze this game. There's so few advanced stats that really work. Um, you know, people are looking for them and stuff, but it's so hard to analyze the game. It's really hard to like objectively say this player had a good game. Whereas you can do that much easier in basketball, baseball, football. Uh, you know, football maybe a little less, but uh, you have things like PFF where there's set plays and people are grading every play and stuff. So it's there's at least a little bit of like quantifiability to the metrics. Soccer is absolutely not like that. It's very difficult to tell why a team didn't play well. It's very difficult to tell if a player played well. And what that means is that people are dumb and it leads to really reductive takes. So a team is good. They just, everyone just says every player on that team is good. It happened with Manchester United when they were winning every game 
players like Tom Cleverly and stuff would go play for England because he plays in the midfield for United. He must be good because they're winning all these things. And so he must be good enough to play for England. The same is true of Manchester City now. It's any, and part of the reason uh, why people are just buying all of their academy players for 20 million is because he played, he was taught to be a Manchester City player. And the only reason he's not making the Manchester City team is because their team is the best. So let's spend 25 million on this guy. Whereas United, because, and it's not like they lose every game. I mean, they're finishing top four. Like the way that people talk about United, you'd think that they'd like, finishing 10th every year but when you have a team that's has all this drama all this negativity because when they lose games it just means that everyone looks at every single one of their players and says they're bad um happened to Rashford when he was terrible they had a really bad season happens to Bruno happens to every single player because and then there's no way to argue that somebody says oh this player is terrible look at how United lost and then you say well I don't think it's his fault and and they're like well, their team sucks, like, and he's a big part of their team. Like, how could he not be bad? And so it leads to this extremely reductive thinking. And so, uh, yeah, I think all of soccer analysis very much lags behind um, other sports, but, uh, and it's all just based on who wins this really high variance game. Yeah, that's a really, really, really good point. And I think as you watch or follow a team, you start to realize sometimes you've watched or you know more about a team than the commentators or the analysts because they, they'll say something and you're just gonna be like if you watch more than 10 games of this guy that's just like not true you know that is yeah there's echoing from each other but what the big thing was that last year when united um signed martinez for as their center back it was like the first like month everyone was like well he's only five foot he's five nine he's too short to be a center back and there's this like echo chamber of you know he's never going to be able to cut it in this physical premier league because he's so short and then, you know, the dude ends up becoming a great center back, wins a World Cup, and no one ever mentions that again. Yeah, it's it's just funny how how much of a echo. But part of the reason why people are okay with him because now the other you can basically say, Well, he won a World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And so now it's like but that but like that's so stupid that like that that's a big reason why and you know, you can't insult Rafael Varane because he's won a World Cup and it's hard to insult Casemiro because he's won five Champions Leagues. And that but the rest of the players that haven't won stuff, it's very easy to, to attack them and this is not a Manchester United only problem I think Arsenal and Tottenham have both suffered from this for a long time because neither team has won anything in the last you know decade really so I think their players have always been kind of talked down on they've always said oh this guy doesn't have the mentality this guy's not tough this guy's not a leader this guy you know is weak those are all things that people say about all these teams that don't win and I think especially in this era like I was saying with Manchester City on top with every team that isn't Manchester City losing in some way every year, um, it just gets it uh, grinds my gears, so to it say. Grinds my gears. It was it's so funny too because it's a game of just so many. One small play changes the fate, right? Like let's say Mbappe scores the goal uh, in the last second of the World Cup final. Like now, all these guys aren't World Cup winners, right? Can you? Yeah, yeah. Are they now no longer these these mentally tough guys that are known winners? Like, yeah, it's just like one play, and nothing's changed about who this guy is or how he plays. It's just like one kick that he was not involved in, and yeah, it changes the entire narrative. So uh, that's a really good point. And yeah, I always hate that when people are like, "Oh, well, he's a great goalie. He's you know England's number one, or he's France's number one." And by number one, I mean their goalie. And it's like, well, he he has to be good. Then it's like, eh, I mean, he he can be good or he can't, but. 
Yeah, it can be just by default. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just because you're picked for your national team doesn't make you, you know, this this automatic great player. But we are running out of time, so I kind of want to give you a chance to talk about anything else or any conversations you kind of want to have about United that you kind of want to bring up or things that you think a prospective fan should definitely know about or important things that they should kind of consider when they're trying to pick their club. Well, let's do the hope to heartbreak. I think, you know, the hope to heartbreak scale for United, I think is always a five because they spend so much money. The transfer window is the best part of United season, although they have huge drama there too. And they're terrible in the transfer market, so it's not actually that good. But they have the most, because they're like the most like talked about club, there's always like a million rumors and, you know, infinite amounts. And they're kind of like incompetent in some ways. There's always a million rumors about them and stuff. What do you always say about the Jags? The best day of the Jags season is uh, draft day. (laughs) Hey, they're going to be good this year. I think that's hilarious. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, that is the best day usually. April is when uh, the Jag season starts. But anyway, the uh, United United always, I think, has hope because they always are willing to, or at least have the money to go spend and buy a ton of new players. So uh, they're always going to have access to the top-tier talents because of the money that they pay, because of the name brand of the club. So I think five out of five, The you know, in terms of your hope, um, the ability to restart fresh, buy new guys, buy the best players in the world, they are way up there. In terms of heartbreak, I'd have to, I'd really have to say it's like a four out of five because the expectations are so high that because they spend basically the most money alongside Manchester City in the league, the expectation for them is to win league titles um, every year or Champions Leagues. And that has not happened. It's not really been that close um, in the last decade in part because of Liverpool and Manchester City, but that's also what makes it heartbreaking is that the teams that are above them is going to be Manchester City, and that is one of their biggest rivals. And Liverpool is also a good team, um, their biggest rival. So right now they are in an an era that is not uh, great. So for me, hope five, heartbreak four. I think that's good rationale for both of those. And I mean, I'm going to say the hope for me is going to be a four is what I'm going to give them. And I think just to echo kind of what you were saying is it's a fan base that is always expecting to to win things no matter what and i think it's a really really good point you made that last year they had them i mean i obviously you see arsenal in second place and there's the big you know drama of who's gonna win the title you're right united had the second most you know the second best season if you count you know silverware and kind of how going to finals like it's a great year for them outside of winning it so i think having such a proud fan base was that rich history you're always going to have a high level of hope and now that you always have these marquee players these famous players on the team it's always going to stay high so i'm gonna keep that hope at four and i'm also gonna give the heartbreak a four i i think you said it perfectly that's exactly what i was going to say heartbreak is tough when you don't win but it's even tougher when it's your two biggest rivals that are the ones that are winning the title so um that's that's just makes it so much harder for a fan base if if they don't end up winning but you know, I think maybe turning a corner here to kind of restart this whole, the next cycle, you could say, and maybe, just maybe, Pep is going to be bored now that he's won the treble and says, you know what, let me go do something else or let me find a new project. I'm worried in 13 years, Man City has 20 titles. I think they have like <laughs> seven right now. <laughs> I don't sleep. I don't sleep anymore. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I think this is a great club, right? Manchester United is... An incredible team to follow they are it's always interesting it's always drama filled 
they have that history. Their away fan, their fans are incredible too. They have some of the best fans in the in the country. Their away fans uh, are reliably some of the best in the in the country in terms of making noise when you go to away stadiums. Old Trafford is an incredible place. Um, it is a team that has is huge, is commercial, is you know popular from a marketing standpoint. Spends a lot of money, but also does have I think a uh, a good heart to it, a good kind of atmosphere about it, a uh, expectation, a swagger, a kind of personality that I think comes with being who they have been um, for the last 50 years or longer. It makes it uh, a really good team to follow. There's never a, a lack of podcasts, never a lack of articles, never a lack of rumors, uh, never a lack of drama with Manchester United. And um, now is a good time to get in with United because you can say that uh, you started uh, what for them and you know other people that follow uh, the smaller teams will laugh when I say uh, Manchester United starting at the bottom because they just spent like 200 million this offseason uh, but for United this is uh, the last decade has been close to the bottom so there's never been a, a better time to uh, buy Manchester United stock so uh, I recommend that you do so relative relative bottom and hey you never know what the bottom is right <laughs> anything can happen that's true that's true but all right i think that is kind of all the time we have to talk about united so thank you so much for listening to this episode on why you should or should not support manchester united uh, again we're gonna keep kind of rolling out some of these episodes talking about different clubs in the premier league and give you kind of the case and our opinions on why you should or shouldn't follow them so please stick with us for that uh, make sure you follow us on uh, any kind of social media that we have out there, which is mostly going to be on Instagram. I think we have some a TikTok or two out there, which has been an interesting endeavor. Uh, but also the biggest thing you can do for us is leave a review or just tell somebody about the pod, uh, which we absolutely appreciate. And so we can continue kind of getting some of our opinions and give you some uh, knowledge out there. So thank you so much for hanging out with us and we'll definitely talk to you next time. Signing off.